So let's look at our two passages tonight. First, we're in Exodus 20, 13. This is God's word. It says, you shall not murder. And then we're looking at Matthew 5. Matthew 5, 21 and 22. This is Jesus speaking and he says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the fire of hell. The grass withers, the flowers fade away. And the Bible says that you and I, that mankind are like the grass that withers and fade away. But the word of God stands forever. So let's pray before we consider it more tonight. Heavenly Father, we pray again for just a moment that you would be with us because we, we need that to happen. We have to confess that if you don't, if you don't show up and do good things, then then we will not be changed. Father, we need you to work in us to be able to hear your truth. We want to see the, what we just sung about, the blazing glory of your love. So we pray that you would do that tonight. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So I did a little bit of research for the sermon, which of course means I googled it. Uh, for our discussions on the Sixth Commandment, but I found out that, uh, so this is the last, the previous decade, 2000, 2010, that there were roughly about 15,000 murders every year during that 10-year span in the United States, okay? So with roughly 300 million people or so living in the United States, that means that 0.005% of the population was murdered. And while it's certainly not a one-to-one ratio of murderers to murdered, right, um, we could say that that means that about 0.005% of the population of the United States commits murder every year. And obviously while we would like for that number to be zero, that's still really small, right? 0.005%. It's a tiny number. And so maybe as we come to this commandment, right, maybe this is the one that you could sort of think about and say like, okay, check, right? I don't, I got that one. Haven't killed anybody, right? Haven't murdered, so I don't have to worry about that one. And obviously, if you, if you consciously think that, then you're in for a little bit of a surprise. But even if you already knew what Jesus said about this commandment, which we just read in Matthew 5, even if you already knew about what he says in the Sermon on the Mount, and, and you wouldn't consciously think that to yourself, right? You wouldn't consciously think that you're completely innocent. But maybe if you're like me, when you think about this commandment, there's still a big part of you that thinks like, okay, sure, right? I need to work on, you know, not being so rude to people and, and you know, thinking bad thoughts about people. But, but come on, murder, right? That, that's not fair, and look, while, while we've talked about this with every command, right, that the commandments ultimately are not aimed just at our external behavior, but they're aimed at our hearts. With this one, 
I don't want to say in particular, but, but this one is one that if you, especially with Jesus' words, that if, if you come and you take an honest look at what Jesus says about it, and then you take an honest look at your own heart and your own life, that it's just going to completely undo you. At least it's going to, I know it does that for me. So look, we're studying through the Ten Commandments this semester, and we say, we say this every week, that the Ten Commandments serve uh, in two ways, right? That uh, we've used the, the illustration or metaphor that it serves as a, uh, I guess that would be a simile, wouldn't it? Um, that it would serve as a mirror, right? In a mirror into which we can look and see our reflection. We see what we look like. What, we see ourselves for what we really are. And as we look at ourselves in the mirror of this commandment, I think we're going to see, unfortunately, that, that our hearts are murderous. That we tend to kill a lot of other people, in our hearts at least. But that the law also serves as, as a window through which we look and we can see the true character of God and see what He's really like. And as we do that tonight, I think you're going to see that, that we have a God... That we have a God that loves life, that is life himself, and he protects it, and he guards it, and he actually gives it. So we're going to look at this commandment uh, of, that commands us not to murder. We're going to look at four things. Number one, the offense of murder. Number two, the depth of murder. Number three, the opposite of murder. And then fourthly and finally, we'll look at the cure for murder. All right, so the offense of murder. Right, I think just about anybody, if you ask them, is murder wrong? Virtually everyone, if not everyone, would say yes. But I think it's important for us to take at least just a second and think about the question, okay, so we'd all agree it's wrong, but why is it wrong? Maybe you've never thought about that. And look, the answer, I think, is very simple, but at the same time, it's very profound. All right, so in Genesis 9, 6, which we're about to read. This is God speaking to Noah right after the flood. And God is reestablishing life on earth and he's making his covenant with Noah. And he says this, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. So you see what he's saying? Very simply, God is saying, That because I have made everyone in my image, every human being bears the image of God. Therefore, every human being is endowed with great dignity. And that to take the life of a human being is an offense, essentially, against God's own character. And so he guards it jealously with, with this commandment. And he tells Noah that, If anyone sheds the blood of another man, then his blood shall be shed. And yes, part of that is as a punishment, right? But part of it is to, a big part of that command, that command is to respect the dignity of the one that was killed. Because he considers an attack on someone else really as an attack on himself. See, there's great dignity in human life. All right, I have a quote from C.S. Lewis. I'm not exactly sure where it comes from, but hey. All right, so listen to C.S. Lewis on, um, on what you and I, on what human beings are, uh, the inherent dignity that we have, I guess you could say. 
Right, he says this. It's, it is maybe possible to think too much of your own potential, of your own potential glory hereafter. But it is impossible to think too often or too deeply about that of your neighbors. The weight of my neighbor's glory should be laid daily on my back. So heavy a weight it is that only humility can carry it. It's a serious thing to live in a society of immortals. To remember that millions of years from now, the dullest and most uninteresting person you meet may one day be an incredible creature who if you saw him now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Or a horror as you only now meet in a nightmare. All day long we are in some degrees helping each other to one to one or the other of these destinations. And then he goes on to say, I'm not going to read the rest of the quote, but he goes on to say that there's all kinds of things in this world that are, um, that are mortal. But it, here, I'll pick it up here. But it is immortals with whom we joke, work, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal, immortal horrors are ever, everlasting splendors. Your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. Right, do, you, do you hear what C.S. Lewis is saying? He's saying that people, everyone you know is going to go on forever. Right? We're not like God. We haven't always been. But we will go on forever. And people are endowed with such... The, the very fact that we are immortal in that sense right, means that your ultimate destiny, that everyone you meet either one day will be an, an, a creature that is so brilliant and holy... That if you saw them now, you, you very well might fall down on your face to worship them as God. Or a creature that's so horrible that you would only find it in a nightmare. But you see what he's saying. There's no such thing as just an ordinary person. That everybody that you meet is built in God's image. And they have, they have almost infinite value. And so we're going to come back to this idea in just a little bit, I think, but... Hopefully it gets your mind turning just a little bit on the cosmic seriousness of how you treat other people. Right? Alright, secondly, let's take a look at the depth of murder. Right? Like we said, we're tempted to look at this commandment and think this is the one we can check off the list. Right? Hadn't, haven't run a knife you know, into someone, haven't shot anybody, haven't killed anybody. But when we read what Jesus says in Matthew 5, it's really pretty shocking. Right? So first, let's define murder. I think that's important. So what is it? I think we could define it like this, that it's the unlawful taking of human life. Right? The Hebrew word is not the word, um, not the word just for to kill, but it's actually, right, it's the unlawful taking of life. The unlawful taking of life. So I think we could boil it down this way, that to murder is to want someone to be gone and to want them to be gone so much that you ultimately make them go away. But Jesus comes along and he takes that to a, to a whole new level, right? Jesus says that, that what this command is really getting at goes so deep that it actually goes into your heart, right? He says that to be angry with somebody else to say in your heart, you fool. Right? Maybe we could say, like, you idiot. 
that's essentially to commit murder. I don't know how that lands with you. But that goes deep, right? That, 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 that what's going on when you do that, when you think in your heart, look at this idiot. Or when you hate somebody, when you're so frustrated with somebody, that what's going on in your heart is essentially murdering them. So let's think for a second now, why do we do that? Why does that happen? Why do we murder people, at least in our hearts? And I think it's this, and I want you to, I want you to, I want you to grab onto this. Hope you can track with me on this, because we're going we're gonna to come back around to this. I think essentially the reason that you and I tend to murder people, either physically and literally, or, or at least uh, in our hearts and in our minds, is because you and I are built in the image of God, And we're built, in a sense, to be kingdom makers. You and I are built to build a kingdom. Right? But the problem is that you and I now, because we're all sinners, we're all broken, you and I, by default, like we talk about this almost every week, you and I all, we all want to be okay, right? We all want to matter. We want to be somebody. We essentially, we all want to be king. And so we're actually always about the business of setting up a kingdom, But the problem is it's always our kingdom. You and I are kingdom builders. And so we're trying to set up life centered around ourselves so that that I'm the king. Right? So that I matter. So that I can be okay. Have some self-worth. And when anybody gets in the way of that, when anybody gets in the way of one of your sort of royal edicts or whatever, your agenda you got to get rid of them. When, when somebody does anything that maybe makes you feel like not the king, when someone does something that makes you feel not as great as you feel like you want to be, you got to get rid of them. We eliminate them. And the people that don't get in our way, we pretty much just ignore And the people that we think can help us, we essentially just use them to get where we want to go. So that's my premise, that you and I tend, that our murderous hearts are really because we're trying to set everything up to make it work for us. And if people get in the way of that, they got to go. So what does that look like for us? Right? Obviously, it looks like actually killing someone. That's obvious. I don't think we need to spend a lot of time there. So what does it look like just day to day, day in, day out, in our own hearts? I want to give you an an illustration from my own life. I think the more you know me, the the funnier this will be. Um, So sorry to those of you that don't think this is interesting. But a few years ago when I was doing RUF, when we were living in Louisville, Kentucky, RUF at the University of Louisville, when we got there, we set up a personal bank account for the Rutherford family. And at the same time, we set up a bank account that was also a personal account, but with RUF's name on it. So it had like my name and then RUF, okay? Wasn't a business account, because there's certain rules for those, but we set up an account for RUF. So I go in a few years later. Look, I sat down with the lady and went through the whole thing, right? Uh, We set it up. I asked her all the questions, made sure it would work, 
no problem. So a few years later, I go in, I mean, I've been in lots of times, but I go in to, uh, to someone had written a check to RUF for a conference, and they wrote it to RUF. So I go to deposit the check, it's like 50 bucks, right? Sign the back, put it down, and she looks at it and she says, I'm sorry, I can't, uh, I can't deposit this. I was like, well, why not? And she's like, well, it says RUF on it. They made it out to RUF. I'm like, yes, as instructed. <laughs> and they said, well, she said, well, it has to, it has to be made out to you. I was like, well, that can, you know, they made it out to RUF, which should be okay, right? Like, that's on my checks, and that's on the name of the account. And she's like, well, you can get anything printed on your checks. And I said, okay, well, I got that printed on my checks. <laughs> See where I'm going? And I explained, you know, I even took the time to explain, it wasn't a total, whatever. Um, took time to explain to her what I, you know, campus minister, right? This is a group. Explained the whole bit. And she's like, I'm sorry. And then I remember, like, ah, oh, she put in the notes when we set up the thing. She put in the notes on the computer, RUF, right? She put a note. I said, look it up in the computer, if you would, please. She looks it up. And she says, oh, yeah, sure enough, it says RUF. And I was like, sweet. She's like, but I can't take your check. I'm like, why not? She says, well, all it says is RUF. And I said, oh, okay. Like, what? And she said, I don't know why it says that. I was like, can, could you imagine, could you dream up any reason other than the one I'm telling you that the computer, <laughs> your computer would say RUF? And she said, well, no. I was like, okay, then. She's like, but I can't take your check. <laughs> And so now, you know, back of the neck starts getting a little hot. And, and no kidding, at that moment, like where I was just about to come totally unhinged, I can remember thinking to myself, right, I'm, like I'm not so mad, like I don't want to kill this woman, right? Like, like literally physically kill her. That's crazy, right? But I can honestly remember thinking that she was so frustrating to me and she was not understanding this clear logic I can remember thinking, I just want you to just not be here, right? I just, I just want you to disappear. And I actually remember thinking pretty much at the same time, like, I think that's exactly what Jesus is getting at, right? Yeah, I'm not going to, like, wait for her to get off her shift and kill her, right? But essentially, right, at the heart of it, it's the same thing. Isn't it? I just don't, like, she's in the way of my kingdom and what I want to do, and she's not working for me, and I just want her to go away, right? No regard for who she is as a person. No regard for her dignity. I just want her to go away. So what does that look like for us? What does it look like for you? Maybe you don't get in fights at the bank. Um, Maybe it looks like when you just write someone off, or you just ignore them because you're mad at them. And it's just easier to do that. Uh, they rub you the wrong way, and so you're just like, whatever, and I'm done with you. Um, or maybe you don't go so, so far as to ignore them, because maybe that would sort of be socially awkward, so we're not going to go there. But, but maybe you do this, and your, um, what, what do we call it? Uh, your, your shower thoughts, right? It's a thing, right? I was told, yeah. The, you know, what do you think about when you're by yourself and you're alone? And you, and you think about... Um, Maybe you think about getting into that conversation with them, right? And how, how much you want to chew them out. And how stupid you would make them look, right? Um, 
How many, if we can say it like this, how many dead roommates do you have? Right? How many times do you think, oh, she'll, she'll use a dish, but she won't clean a dish. She is such an idiot, right? What a moron. You can't remember to turn the check in on time? Yeah, whatever it is. Um, how many dead classmates do you have? Right? You're in group projects, right? We talk about this. You hate group projects because nobody but you ever does the work. I would love to sit down one time with somebody and for them to say, I'm in a group project. I love group projects because I am a slacker. And they are awesome. But nobody says that, right? So if nobody says it, who is it? And so we talk about or think about that guy. Like that idiot, right? He didn't do anything. Um, how, many, how many dead fellow motorists are there on the road, right? I actually had an illustration in here from the last time I taught this a couple of years ago. And then I was driving here. And it's like the one time I don't listen to sports radio is when I'm driving to RUF because I actually kind of would like to think about what I'm going to say and pray about it and kind of, you know, Try to be in the mindset, right? Which is, no. I'm driving here to come talk about murdering people in your heart. And I'm not, I'm not kidding you. I am barely out of my neighborhood before I said out loud in the car by myself to someone, whenever you're ready, you can go. And was so frustrated at that person. Because she was just sitting there like a moron, right? (laughs) It's funny, and it's not, right? It's funny to tell up here, but, you know, she finally goes, and I turn behind her, and I I realize, like, start to, like, turn my thoughts back, and, like, oh, my gosh. Like, I just killed that woman. I hated her, right? No dignity for no recognition of her dignity. Uh, when we say things like, um, look, at, look at this clown, right? Look at that guy. Uh, whenever you think something like, bless his heart, right? For, for you deep southerners. Um, right, we slay people all the time, right? We're, I, I'm not excited about preaching the sermon. Because I do that, like, I cannot, and I know you can't either, I cannot turn this off. This is 24, it's however many seconds there are in the 24. Like, this is all the time for me, right? Looking at everyone else that gets in the way of my kingdom. Even the people that I love the most, right? My wife, my kids. Look, Way's kingdom, Way's kingdom, this will be kind of funny, but it's, Way's kingdom would be a quiet kingdom. <laughs> Kids are not quiet. And I metaphorically, right, in my heart for the recording, kill them all the time. I just want, in, in again, little ways, I just want them to go away. I didn't intend for all this to be funny like this. All right, thirdly, let's look at the opposite of murder very quickly. 
uh, the opposite of murder. Basically, every commentator that you read about the Ten Commandments is going to say something along the lines of this, that each commandment is a prohibition against something, right, explicitly, right? You shall not murder, right? Do not kill people, okay, unlawfully. But at the same time, implicitly, it is actually a, a command to do something positive, right? So there's two sides to each command. Um, don't kill people. And so really the positive side is that we're, not only are we not supposed to kill people, but we're actually called by God to foster life, right? I thought about it like, uh, having, a, like having a baby, right? A friend of mine and I used to sort of joke that a, a, your child's first birthday party is really for you as the parent, right? Because they're, when they're one, they don't really know what's going on. And so it's really more celebration for you and mom to say, like, we did it. 365 days, we kept them alive, right? <laughs> and we're going to have some cake. Um, and now, look, that's, that's a joke because you get it, right? Like, the object of parenting, you get a child, the object is not just to make sure it doesn't die, right? Of course. Not only are you not supposed to make sure, just make sure it doesn't die, right? But you're supposed to actually foster life in that child, Right? Right? You want them healthy. You want to teach them things, to grow them up. You're trying to foster life. And the exact same, I think, is true for us. What we're called to do for other people. So what does that look like? How, do we, how, how should we be and how do we not, right, as sinners, foster? We should foster life by our deeds. Right? We should take care of people that others treat like they don't matter. The homeless, the elderly, the awkward, right, the social outcast. The one that nobody else is going to talk to. We should foster life. We should foster life by our words. Not only should we not kill people with our words, but we should encourage people. We should build them up. We should say kind things to them. We should remind them or tell them the gospel. Right? Do we ever even think of looking around at others? Do we even think about how we could inject life into people? It's probably pretty rare. I'd rather, again, not to be fun, it's just much easier to kill you and get you out of the way than worry about you being alive and fostering that. So finally, let's look at this, the cure for murder. Or maybe better said, the cure for murderous hearts. So how does Jesus in the gospel help us in regard to murder? All right, here's what I, I want you to see, you have to see your story in the story of Jesus. Okay? Right, we've said, uh, we've made the point, we all want to be kings. We all sort of set ourselves up as king of our own little kingdom, and anybody that gets in the way has to go. Because we, we all want to matter. We all want our own glory. So much so that we're willing to kill for it. And what we deserve for that, what we deserve for killing people, we deserve death. But Jesus, who is the true king, right, he comes to earth to do what? He comes to, as he says, to set up a kingdom. He comes to bring the kingdom of God, to establish his glory. Right? Jesus comes to, to show on earth, to display how much he matters. How much he ultimately matters. And how does he do it? Does he show up and get rid, just eliminate anybody that's going to get in the way of that? No. How does Jesus establish his kingdom? He actually establishes his kingdom by being murdered, interestingly enough. 
Jesus establishes his kingdom by being murdered by people that are trying to establish their own kingdom, right? Do you remember, I think this is all pretty fascinating. Do you remember the the strategy that the Jewish leaders employ essentially to get Jesus crucified, right? They know that if they go to Pilate and say, this guy claims to be God, the Pilate would probably say like, okay, what do I care? But, so what they do, they say, this guy claims to be king, right? Because Pilate is probably, you know, Roman uh, uh, leader, is probably going to care about the fact that somebody else is claiming power here. Because he's the one in power. And so they play on that. And so what happens? They dress Jesus up in a king costume, right? They put this robe on him. They give him a crown made of thorns. And they beat him up and they make fun of him. They make him look like a fake king. And then what happens? Right? Then Pilate asks, it's you know, evidently customary that he would release a prisoner. And he says, who do you want released? And who do, who do the people say? Do they want the real king? No. They, uh, they say Barabbas. And Luke, what is it, 23 says, who is Barabbas? Luke 23 says, 19, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. I don't want to make too much of that. But Jesus, the true king, gets uh, you know, uh, sort of prosecuted as a fake king. And who gets to go free? A murderer. And so then what happens? Well, Jesus is executed in about, you know, just a terrible way, right? He's crucified. He's hung on a cross. And what does Pilate have put above his head? A sign that says what? King of the Jews. So do you see that, that Jesus, who really is the real king of everything, that he establishes his, his kingdom by coming and taking all the punishment and most of all God's wrath for being a fake king. Jesus essentially goes down, so to speak, as a fake king. Why does he do it? He does it because he loves you. He does it because you and I desperately want to be our own king. But we're fake. But we want to be king. We want to set ourselves up and we murder anybody that gets in the way. And so Jesus comes in because he loves you. Because he loves me. And he says, I'm going to step into your place. And I'm going to, I'm going to be the fake king that you are. And I'm going to take all that. And because he bears the guilt and the wrath and he offers himself in the place of murderous people like me and you, fake kings, then, then fake kings like us are actually drawn to him. And here's what I want to end with. In Luke 23, we see Jesus is hanging on the cross and there's two other people on each side of him. Right? Two criminals. And there's this little scene that happens where essentially one of them starts saying like, okay, you're, you're the Christ, right? So why don't you get us down from here? And, and the other criminal says, he essentially says, look, be quiet. You and I are guilty. We deserve to be here. But he hasn't done anything wrong. And then he looks at Jesus, and he says this, verse 42. Jesus, remember me 
when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So do, do you see the point? That the cure for our murderous hearts, it's not just that Jesus came and he bore your punishment because he loves you. It is that, and that's amazing. But the, the part of the beauty is that you actually get what you've really wanted the whole time. That the part of the beauty of the gospel is not only does he come and he save you from you know, going to hell, but that he actually gives you the kingdom that you really want. Right? You get the kingdom too. You get to be a part of a kingdom in which you have infinite value and worth. Right? Right? The, the, the guy on the cross looks and he says, Jesus, he, he recognizes, I, I've made a wreck of my life. I want to be part of your kingdom. And Jesus says, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Right? In other words, you're going to be with me in a kingdom where, look, here's the great thing about my kingdom. You know what matters more than anything to me in my kingdom? You. And I want you to see the beauty of that, of that grace. That that will actually begin. That the more that truth gets down in our bones, the more we'll be able to look at other people and, and not eliminate them. Right? If we, if we found a love that gives us infinite value, the more and more we'll be able to look at other people and breathe life into them. So do you, do you know the true king? Because he's, he's offered to you tonight. That's an invitation. I hope you take it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, like King Jesus, we, we confess to you that we set ourselves up as the true king. We want to be important. We want to matter. And we would honestly rather do that without you but you are gracious enough, you are good enough to not allow that to happen. So Jesus, would you please expose our murderous hearts for what they really are? Would you cause us to run to you in repentance? And in, in so doing, would, that we would find the love, the love that we really want. Jesus, we ask that in your name. Amen.